The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. And every valley shall be raised up, and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all humanity together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And may we hear a word from you more. Lord, may we have an encounter with you so that we walk away this morning saying, yes, behold, here, here is our God. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever had that experience of walking into the middle of a movie? I hate walking into the middle of a movie. I am neurotic on the way to the movie theater because I hate walking in the middle and not knowing what's going on. Sometimes, like the time when I walked in in the middle of Inception, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. I haven't because I walked in in the middle and it was a disaster. I had no idea what was going on. I could not tell what in the world this movie was about. Other times when you walk into the middle of the movie, you get the gist you see the girl kiss his boy. You see the good guys and the bad guys with guns, but you don't know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. You don't know why it matters that this girl kisses that boy, and you find yourself bewildered when you walk into the middle of a movie. If the story of the Bible, or rather, if the Bible is a story, Isaiah is one of the high points in the middle. And if Isaiah is one of the high points in the story, Isaiah 40 is one of the high points of Isaiah. This is the middle. This is the turning point. And so before we dive into this incredible text this morning, it's worth reminding ourselves of the story in which this chapter stands in the middle. And that story begins with the God who created all things making enormous promises to a particular people. 
saying to Abraham's family, I will walk among you and be your God. I will take up residence in your midst. I will be with you. And because I am with you, you will bear fruit. What kind of fruit? The fruit of justice, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of holiness. And as you bear that fruit, God says to his people, you will be a vehicle of my blessing to the entire world. As you bear that fruit, I will use you to bring blessing to the nations in their suffering. And to help you do this, the Lord had promised his people, I will put you in a good land and I will give you a good law that shows you what justice and righteousness looks like in the middle of an unjust and unrighteous world. And I will give you a king. I will give you King David. And from his offspring, from his line, I will always give you a king who will rule in your midst, who will help you be this people that dwells and lives with the Creator and as a result bears the fruit of justice and righteousness and holiness for the sake of the whole world. That's the story. And as Isaiah has been, respond, has been telling us over and over again for 40 chapters now, the other part of the story is that Israel has again and again said, no thanks. They said, we don't want to dwell with you. We don't care if you want to be in our midst. We're going to worship idols. They said, we don't want to live your wise, just, righteous, holy way. And when the Lord in Isaiah chapter 5 shows up looking for that fruit of justice and righteousness, he finds injustice and oppression and bloodshed and violence instead. And again and again, Isaiah has said, guys, guys, God has made us big, big promises. Go read Leviticus 26 this afternoon. Big, big promises if we obey. But go read the second half of Leviticus 26 this afternoon. God has told us that if we refuse, not blessing will come, but curses. And Isaiah has been saying again and again, hey guys, wake up. We've rejected our God and the curses have come. And if we keep curses, we'll get worse. We've seen those curses come on the people of God. We've seen most of the people of God in the northern kingdom taken out by hostile powers, taken into slavery, disappeared, never to be seen from again. And the king of Judah that's been left in Isaiah 36, we saw Assyria, this, this Isis of the ancient world, destroy the kingdom, ravage every city in the kingdom except the capital. And in 36 and 37, the people of God have several near misses where they, they just barely miss utter destruction. Now, of course, in these same chapters in this story that we're telling, of which the high point, we run into King Hezekiah. This guy's pretty good. Here's a king, one in the line of David. Maybe he's going to be the one because he restores worship of God. He, he gets rid of the idols. He believes in justice. When Assyria shows up, he refuses to play power politics. Oh, good, maybe this is the one. But then last week, in Isaiah 39, right before you get to our story, even Hezekiah falls apart. He says to Assyria, I'm not going to play politics with you. I trust in the Lord. Then here comes another political party, Babylon. He says, actually, I am going to play power politics with you. I actually am going to throw my lot in with you. 
And he shows off all his stuff to try to make a nice alliance with Babylon. And Isaiah shows up and says, because you proved faithless, here's what's going to happen. The time will come when your palace and all that is here and even some of your sons will be carried off to Babylon as slaves and exiles. And you, Hezekiah, the king in the line of David, of whom I have promised, one of your offspring will always sit on the throne. Your sons, who are supposed to be kings in my land, will instead go into exile and be eunuchs. Now that's PG-13, but for the kids at home, what it means is no more kings from your line. Out of the promised land. And the line of God's king run out. And Hezekiah is so depressed, so beat down, so, so demoralized by all these near misses that he kind of gives up. He's like, ah, well, the word of the Lord is pretty good. At least there'll be peace in my day. And that captures the mood in chapter 39. This is a people whose energy is gone. They have lost hope. They are settling for the lesser evil. They're just going, ah, fine, just give us peace in our day. Yeah, the promises are going to run out, but maybe it'll be all right for us. This is a people without energy. This is a people without hope. This is a people who are looking out the window and seeing the, the country of God, the people of God in ruins and rubble with smoke rising and think, yeah, it's probably just more of the same. And they've got 39 chapters of Isaiah that suggest they might be right. After all, Isaiah's been the one singing this song, judgment's going to come, judgment's going to come. You refuse God, judgment's going to come. Isaiah's been singing that number for 39 chapters with a few interruptions. And maybe they thought, finally, we've sailed past the point of no return. And in that helpless situation, unlooked for, out of nowhere, unexpectedly, the prophet begins to sing a new song. To sing a new song, to declare God will do a new thing, an unexpected thing, an unlooked for thing. And this song that the prophet sings that we discover is in fact the song that God sings is a song that declares, and this is the theme this morning, that because our king is returning, we receive unimaginable comfort and are caught up in a generous kingdom. Out of nowhere, unlooked for, God says, the king is returning and we will receive unimaginable comfort and get caught up in a generous kingdom. That is the beginning and the end of the song that we are singing this morning. And I have but two points unpacking it. First, because the king is returning, we receive unimaginable comfort from the king. Listen to how the song breaks forth amidst the devastation, amidst the burning, and then out of nowhere, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly, speak wooingly, speak in a new voice to the heart of Jerusalem. This unimaginable comfort, what kind of comfort is it? It's comfort that the time of punishment is over, that sins have been paid off. Look at it in verse 2. Proclaim to her her hard service completed. Her sin paid for. She has received from the Lord double for all her sins. And what Isaiah is saying is all the way since Leviticus 26, we've known God made big promises if we obey blessings, if we fail curses. And they have seen that play out. But now they learn something new. The curses come to an end. 
Their sin gets paid for. The time of warfare and hard service is complete. But not just that, not just that comfort that sin has been paid for, comfort that God himself is on his way. In the desert, the voice cries out, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. This is, this is enthronement language. This is royal language. Ancient kings in Isaiah's day would say, I built a highway to take up residence in a new place. And God is saying, I am the emperor of all the earth, and I am returning to my people, and I will set up my royal shop in their midst. Comfort because sin is dealt with, but comfort because here comes the king. And comfort because nothing will get in his way. You might think, how is he going to make his way through the wilderness? There are all these mountains. They'll be brought low. You might think, how is he going to build this highway? They run through dark valleys. They'll be raised up. There is nothing, God says. Nothing, nothing, nothing that will stop my return. I am on my way at all costs, overcoming all obstacles. Every valley raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And not just Isaiah in the temple, like in chapter 6, but all flesh shall see the glory of the returning king together. No mountain, no valley can get in the way. And you know what else can't get in the way? You and me and our faithlessness. And so in verse 6, 7, and 8, the prophet raises an objection. God, we've been through this before. You call us to be your people. We're faithful for a moment, but when we fail, destruction. So what's new this time? We know this song and dance. And all of our constancy, all of our faithfulness, all of our promise is just like the grass that's here today and gone tomorrow. So God, I don't know about this kind of comfort that rests on us and our performance. And God agrees with the premise. Yes, your faithfulness is like nothing. No, 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 no. He doesn't come based on your faithfulness. The king is not depending on your constancy. Indeed, this people are grass, but the word of the Lord stands forever. The arrival of this king does not depend on your constancy, but on his constancy. And he will overcome the high mountains, and he will raise up the valleys, and he will overcome our sin-sick, faithless hearts. That's the kind of comfort he comes announcing. Comfort that sin is dealt with. Comfort that the wait is over. Comfort that the king is returning and nothing will stand in his path. And comfort because this is the king that we need. Look at what he says in verse 10. Uh, uh, See the sovereign Lord comes with power. And his arm rules with him. These are people who've been kicked around by powerful nations, by people with big guns and big swords and military propaganda. And so Isaiah says, good news, the king that is coming is the indomitable, victorious warrior over all the earth. And he comes with his sword in his hand against the powers of injustice and oppression and suffering that have been kicking your rear end now for 39 chapters. 
And brothers and sisters, if you think, what kind of king do we need today? We need a king who's got the strength to deliver the goods. And God says, I am that victorious warrior, and I am on my way, on my highway. The warrior God who is able to conquer his enemies, and yet the same hand that is outreached in victory and in rule is the hand that also shepherds his people like a weak Flock, our king is not just the warrior. He is also the gentle, the merciful, the shepherd. Listen to this. He rules with his arm and he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. The same arms that reach out against injustice are reached out in compassion to the weak and to the suffering to gather them. Where to gather them? To his chest. That's the language. Gather those weak lambs to his chest, close to his heart, and especially caring for the ones that have young. We are not used to seeing kings who can combine the justice and the judgment that we long for and the mercy that we desperately need, but as in the words of that hymn that takes us beyond all our imagining, here is a king who is truly merciful and mighty. The king that we need, and so there is comfort, there is comfort, there is comfort, unlooked for, outlandish hope, utterly unexpected, unimaginable, unearned, gratuitous, unlooked for, subject to no one but God himself. Announced in the wilderness, announced in exile, announced while the cities burn, comfort, comfort, comfort. The time of punishment is over. The time of the king's absence is over. Every obstacle overcome. And here comes the king, merciful and mighty. As Walter Brueggemann says, Isaiah sets us before the reality of God. God at the very center of a scene from which he, we presumed he had fled. Did you hear that? Isaiah sets us before God at the center of a scene from which we had thought he had left the building. But he's here. And he's returning. Because when the king returns, we receive unimaginable comfort. But secondly, because the king is returning, we are caught up in his generous kingdom. At the beginning of the song, Jerusalem can do nothing but listen. Hear a voice, comfort to Jerusalem. But by verse 9, as the song continues, Jerusalem goes from becoming just a listener to becoming a member of the choir. Get you on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Did you get that? The people of God go from being spectators in the audience to members of the choir. Because when the king shows up, we don't just receive unimaginable comfort. We find ourselves caught up in a generous kingdom. We find ourselves caught up in the song of the king. 
And what is the song? Behold your God. Not just the God of your hearts, not just the God of your private worship, not just the God of your silent prayers, but as Isaiah will say later on in this same section, tell the good news that your God reigns. And brothers and sisters, too often, this Isaiah is, is using for the first time gospel language. And Isaiah is the source of Jesus's and the apostles' gospel language. So if you're asking, where did the New Testament get this idea of the good news? They got it from right here in Isaiah. And while we've talked about the good news so often as something that happens deep inside our hearts, something that's completely limited to me and Jesus and how I feel about him, Isaiah says, all that happens to me, all that happens in my heart, is part of a much larger story, much bigger news. And that bigger news is nothing less than that the Creator King is returning to what's His and claiming it as His own. And that is good news that your God reigns, because the God who reigns is the one strong enough to strike down injustice and gentle enough to take even the oppressor and the oppressed alike into his arms and lead them into new life. So get caught up in that song. Sing it without fear. A people looking out at a world destroyed. Sing it without fear. A people living enslaved in exile. Sing it without fear. Because the return of the king is sure, and so the comfort is sure. And when you hear that song and you tap your feet to it, you can't but get caught up in that kingdom. What does all this have to do with any of us today? Isaiah 40, through the end of the book, is going to proclaim again and again this good news, this song of good news. And that poetry, this singing points first and foremost in Isaiah's day to the reality that God was going to do a new thing in exile way back then. God was saying, even if you get sent to the furthest corners of heaven, far away from my land, I will bring you back and I will establish myself in your midst. Nobody who'd gone into exile, nobody who'd gone into slavery had ever come back. But God said, good news, comfort my people, I'm returning and that means I will bring you back unlooked for, unhoped for, unmanageable, unearned. That's what the song meant back then, first and foremost. But this same song pointed ahead to another day when God would return to his people, catching his people up in a generous kingdom and bringing them unimaginable comfort. That day when God would show up, not bringing his people back from exile, but God would show up in human form as the man, Jesus. And that's why Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, none of them can tell the story of Jesus without quoting this chapter. Every one of them says, what's going on in Jesus? What's going on in Jesus? What does it mean? And they look back here and they say, behold your God. Remember John the Baptist? He was the voice in the wilderness saying, prepare the way for the Creator God. And how does the Creator God come in the man, Jesus of Nazareth? And oh, how he comes to us in Jesus of Nazareth. The warrior? Yes, the warrior who goes toe-to-toe with the religious leaders who use religion as manipulation to exploit the widows and the orphans who laid heavy burdens on the people but didn't raise a single finger to lift them up. He comes as the warrior against them. 
He comes as the warrior God into the temple saying, no, 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 no. This was to be a house of prayer for all the people. But you've made it a place of exploitation and he drives them out. He comes against those oppressive forces and what happens when he does so? The children and the blind and the demon-possessed gather to him in the temple. Yes, he comes as the warrior God, toe-to-toe with those who would afflict his flock, but he also comes as that merciful, gentle, unimaginably humble shepherd. The Jesus who walks slowly down the road with prostitutes with tax collectors who pimped their own people for their own profit, with sinners, with outcasts, with outsiders, and even the rich and powerful who were willing to join him on that road with that crowd of outcasts. Here is a king who comes with might against his enemies and yet shepherds with all the gentleness and mercy that we can expect. Isaiah's song pointed past his own day to that day, but it points past still. Isaiah's song goes past the day when God showed up in Jesus, and it says to us right here this morning, comfort, comfort you people, comfort, comfort you people, because our God still returns, still comes to us by the power of his Spirit. And the reason why we're so delighted to be here this morning is because this is the place where we gather together and bear witness to the truth. Our God reigns. He has returned. He is Lord in this place of our lives. He's Lord in our hearts. He is present with us by the Spirit. And if you don't know that's what you're doing here, I don't know what we're doing. When we stand up and sing these good truths, we're saying, by the Spirit world, behold our God right here in our midst. And the song of Isaiah points even beyond us to that great final day when God will bring yet another unimaginable song of comfort, comfort my people. When Jesus, risen from the dead, reigning at the right hand of the Father, will return and make good on our prayers that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And on that day when the dead are raised imperishable, we will again say, Behold our God and receive unimaginable comfort and be caught up forever and ever in his kingdom. So brothers and sisters, this song has everything to do with us. How in the world do we respond? Now, you guys have known me for a while. So most of you, many of you, you know that right now what I want to say is that when we get caught up in God's kingdom, we go out and do all sorts of stuff like he does. Our God works justice, so we work justice. Our God is holy, so we live holy lives. Our God is righteous, so we do righteous deeds. I want to say those things because they're true things. And Isaiah's going to get to them, but that's not the message that he gives us today. I want to resist the temptation to run to the work that we do, brothers and sisters. Because if we run too far past this text before us this morning, we risk taking the announcement that God is bringing a kingdom beyond us and turning that into a project that we can manage out of our own resources. And if we turn the kingdom of God into a project we can manage out of our own resources, we will have to do one of two things. Either we will downplay the darkness of our world, or we will play up our ability to do something about it. 
But Isaiah is writing to a people who know better. They're looking out the window and they're seeing nothing but devastation in the kingdom of God. Or they're in exile looking out the window and seeing the slave masters who relentlessly say, back to work in foreign lands. They know there's no good whistling in the dark. They know there's no good talking about positive thinking when you're in exile. No possibility of downplaying the disaster. This song doesn't depend on making the darkness look not so dark. And Isaiah's audience knows better, and so do we. Don't we watch the television? Don't we see unimaginable injustice, not just in this country, but around the world? Don't we see rampant idolatry, not just around the world, but in our own hearts? At your work this week, as a nurse or a doctor, or working, uh, driving uh, for FedEx or Amazon, or in your work as a teacher, or your work as a parent, do you not feel like Hezekiah? So run out of energy, so beat down that you're ready to settle, because it's just so messed up. You know what Isaiah is looking at, because you're looking at it in your life. Isaiah knows there's no use playing down the bad, and he also knows, and he writes to people who know, there's no use turning up the volume on what we can do about it. Isaiah wrote to a people who knew they'd, they'd, they'd left it all on the court and come up short. They'd put it all on the table and lost the hand. They knew that they had run out of energy, and there was no use looking to themselves. And so do we. We have seen ourselves and we have seen our church prove that we too are grass. And all our constancy is too often here today and gone tomorrow. No, there is no good trying to turn this kingdom into a project to be managed because we can't afford to downplay the danger and we cannot afford to play up our own hand. We have to learn as Walker de Brueggemann, to quote him again, says, what exiles always, always, always have to learn, that our hope is never generated among us. But the good news is that it is always given to us. And here's the key to how we respond this morning. When it is given, we are amazed. See, the high note of this song is that the revolution does not depend on us, but it comes all the same. The good news of the gospel this morning is that hope comes unearned and unlooked for, bringing a comfort we did not predict and cannot control, and catching us up in a kingdom over which we have no authority or autonomy. That is the good news of this gospel message this morning. And yes, we will get to how to live it out in every area of our lives. But this text begins and ends with the amazement that comes when we simply hear the song. So I have but one application for you this morning, and it is this. Live a life of amazement. Hear the song. Embrace the wonder. The comfort that you are dying for is announced unearned, unlooked for, unmanageable, unpredicted, given as a gift only to be received. Those who wait on the Lord, as Isaiah says, will renew their strength. 
And we will talk about what it looks like to run without weariness. But first, we've got to remind ourselves to wait in amazement on the Lord. Do we not know? Have we not heard the worship and welcome of this king is the beginning and the end of our lives? And so the text invites us not to first and foremost more efforts at our projects, but at wonder and worship for the God of all creation who will not give up on his project. Oh, brothers and sisters, this morning our work that we are offered by God is nothing less and nothing more than worship. And so I invite you to hear the song and be caught up in worship. I invite you this morning to hear the song and go out this week and open your Bible and read the story of a God who relentlessly returns to his people, bringing unimaginable comfort and catching us up in a generous kingdom. If you don't know that God, this church has nothing more or less to offer you than the good news that he loves you and that he is returning and he brings the comfort that you are dying for. Come and worship. And if you were baptized before you knew what was happening and you've lived your life around these songs, the message is the exact same. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the risen King. Worship the God of heaven and earth who returns, who returns, who returns to the people in Isaiah's day who returned in Jesus, who returns in the Spirit among us, and who will return with Jesus coming on the clouds. And so our lives are dominated by worship of the one who brings unimaginable comfort and catches us up in a generous kingdom. Let us go to him this morning and worship in amazement the Christ, our King. Lord Jesus, we have but one work before us. And that is to respond to the song that you are singing. God, would we hear your song and find ourselves caught up in proclaiming its good news. Welcome us to this time of singing and worship. Worship through giving. Worship in song. Worship in prayer through the end of our service. Welcome us into that, Lord Jesus, and help it to be from our hearts a response to your presence comfort and the kingdom that you bring. And we ask that this would all be for your glory and for the good of your hurting world. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let us draw near as we continue singing, as we continue worshiping. Let us worship this king by giving him of our tithes and offerings. You can do that if you are here in the uh, buckets on the way in and the way out. And if you are at home or if you prefer, you can give online by texting something downtown church in lowercase letters to whatever's on the screen 73256 and as you text and as you look for the green buckets remember what it's really about what it's really about is getting caught up in this new song that God is singing let us go to the Lord and worship